Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Brilliant. Well, it is a pleasure to be here. Uh, My church meets in a school, and uh, so I've been snapping photos, learning lessons about uh, your signage is amazing, your welcome team have been fantastic. Um, But it's a privilege to be here with uh, Sim and Lottie. Sim mentioned that uh, we we sit together on the the leadership team uh, for the theme that kind of drives Spring Harvest each year. Uh, But Sim's not limited to that. Almost every event that I go to, Sim is involved in some way. And I just want to say a big thank you to you as a church for releasing Sim for his time. He's not, um, he, he is making a huge difference in other spheres and the church is stronger because of him. So thank you for what you do uh, in making that possible. Let's give Sim a round of applause, actually. Uh, so I, I want to talk to you this morning about God's heart for you. And then we'll talk about God's heart for other people. That's the kind of journey we're going to go on. Um, and let me introduce you to that theme uh, with a little story. Um, so, as I, as I said, my name is Krish, which is short for Krishna. Um, my heritage uh, is um, kind of complicated. Uh, my father was born in Malaysia. Oh, it's beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> That's good. Uh, my father was born in Malaysia. His father was born in Sri Lanka. My mother was born in India. And as you could probably tell... Uh, her father was born in Ireland. Okay, so I am Irish. I'm Irish enough that I could probably play for the Irish cricket team uh, if they had one. I don't think I'm big enough to play for the Irish rugby team, uh, but the Irish cricket team may be within my scope. Um, I'm married to Miriam. She's half English and half Welsh. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Come on, the Welsh. Or was that for the English? I couldn't tell. The Welsh, the Welsh. (laughs) So, uh, So those three birth kids that we have between us, uh, are kind of slightly confused about who to cheer for at the Olympics or the World Cup or the kind of 2020 cricket. Uh, and that's, that's, that's challenging. And we had three kids in three years when we were under 30, okay? Uh, we weren't necessarily kind of aiming at that. That kind of just happened. Uh, if you're not sure about how that happens, then Lottie and Sim will run a seminar <laughs> for you at your leisure. Diagrams can be provided. So... <sighs> About 10 years ago, actually it must be more, 11 years ago, my, my wife says to me, um, I, I reckon we've still got some capacity in our family uh, to care. And I said, okay, what are you thinking? And she's going, how about fostering or adoption? And I'm going, that is a brilliant idea for other people. Because I'd worked out that there was some benefits, collateral benefits of having your kids close together. Okay, I'd worked out that if my kids all uh, kind of go through life in, this, uh, in a three-year period, there'll come a stage when they're ready to leave home together. <laughs> Are you with me? And I'm going, you know, that, that could be awesome. You know, it could be just me and the wife again. It could be those kind of long romantic walks along beaches. You know about beaches. We live in Oxfordshire. We don't have, we're the furthest away, I think it's possible to get in the UK from a beach. But we could commute to the beach because that's what couples do, isn't it? Walking along the beach romantically together. Or or, or I've seen those little adverts on TV about those weekend city breaks that couples can go on, you know, to Copenhagen and uh, and, and all that kind of, that, that would just be awesome. You know, we go to Iceland and sit in the kind of one of those lava pools or something. I, I'm just picturing this amazing life. And then my wife says, what about fostering and adoption? I'm going, mm, not sure. You know, I think there are deep spiritual reasons why we shouldn't do that. 
like it's not very romantic dragging a scooter along a beach. Yeah, and our, our weekend city break to Copenhagen is not going to be any fun with a nappy sack, is it? And so I was really resistant. And um, a couple of things happened. Some friends of ours in their 60s became foster carers for the first time. And I'm going, whoa, you know, they, they were taking on, taking on some pretty challenging children. And I'm thinking, if that's what they're able to do in their 60s, you know, we're in our 30s, we, we, we should be able to do this. And then the other thing that happened, and it's an occupational hazard that happens if you're a Christian. God speaks through the Bible, doesn't he? When you open the Bible, God says stuff. And sometimes he says nice stuff. You know, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and give you a future. Brilliant. Underline that bit. That's a good bit. That's a keeper. That's, that's put it on a magnet on a fridge kind of stuff. And then there's those other bits. Those bits I've been kind of cleverly avoiding. The bits that my highlighter pen had never got near. I don't know if you know this one. True religion that God our Father accepts as pure and blameless is... Well, if you look at the way we do church, often the answer to that question, true religion, what is it God? True religion that God our Father accepts as pure and blameless is a kick-in worship band. And they are, you have an amazing worship band. They are absolutely fantastic. But that is not how that verse ends. Or true religion that God our Father accepts as pure and blameless is good, deep, solid, profound, expository Bible preaching. And I've heard Sim preach. I know you get that regularly. Important stuff. But it's not how the verse ends. Anyone looked it up? It's James 1, 27. True religion that God our Father accepts as pure and blameless is to care for widows and orphans in their distress. And I'm going, God, God, that, that doesn't fit. You know, that doesn't fit my kind of aspirations for the future. I, I, I want a nice retirement. I want a kind of nice empty house. Uh, what are you doing telling me about caring for the elderly and caring for the vulnerable young? That doesn't fit my projections. But you know what? We don't get to choose what's in the Bible. We don't get to gag God. We don't get to edit out the bits of the Bible we don't like. And so God's speaking to me. And I said, okay, I'm in. It took me about a year to come around. I don't know why. I'm, I'm completely positive about women taking leadership. Um, but for some reason, women are more open to hearing about this than us guys. The number of times I've spoken at the end of a church, someone will, uh, a group will come up to me. They'll be mostly women. And they'll say, I'm totally up for this, but my husband will never do this. Well, guys, if that's you, I was there. And it took some mates of mine in their 60s and the scriptures to really open my heart to it. And to be honest, it's been probably the most difficult thing our family has done. The kind of stories that you hear when you welcome kids from care backgrounds into your life are absolutely desperate. 70% of them have faced physical or sexual violence against them. Most of them have, have experienced some kind of neglect. Most of them have parents that would love to be caring for them. But whatever's gone on in their lives means they can't do that. Whether that's drug addiction, whether that's abuse that's happened to the parents themselves, um, or whether it's just a kind of repeating cycle, it means the kids just aren't getting the care that they need. And so we started the journey, and it's been an amazing journey. But it's been a tough one. And I guess through caring for these kids, I've come to understand God at a different level, one that I didn't know before, even though I'm supposed to be a theologian or whatever that means. I remember I came home from work once. It had been a, a mad meeting in London where we'd been trying to get Christians to cooperate. You know what that's like? 
I don't know why we bothered at the beginning. You know, it's like, really? You, you know, you're supposed to e leave your egos and your logos at the door, but you seem to only care about, you know, who's going to get the money at the end or who's going to get the, 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 the database. And I was absolutely gutted. And I got home and uh, we were looking after a four-year-old uh, little boy from Nigeria. And uh, he, he, uh, when I opened the door, he's there, you know, ready, bouncing up and down, happy to see me. Um, if you've got teenagers, I don't know if you can remember what that's like. <laughs> you know, I walk in the home and uh, they're upstairs or they're downstairs. You barely get a glance, don't you, from, from the digital devices. Love digital technology. Um, but I tell you, it's amazing having a four-year-old again. He's bouncing up and down. Daddy, 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 come, 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 go to the park. And I'm going, oh, look, I just got in, you know, I've had a tough day. I want to sit down. I want to, you know, chill out. No, 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 can we go to the park? Can we go to the park? So, so off we are. We're, we're down at the park. And this was the day that he took his stabilizers off his bicycle for the first time. And he, he nails it. He's zooming about. He's zooming about because he can't stop. Because <laughs> if he stops, he'll fall over. <laughs> but he's zooming about and he's going, awesome, awesome, awesome. And I, my heart is melting because I know his story. I know that by the time he was three, he had had eight different families. Eight. Didn't know who he was or where he's from. Had all sorts of kind of learning behavioral challenges. And I'm watching him zoom around the park and he's beaming with joy. And I'm going, thank you. I, I want to I sing. I'm not really a singer, but I want to sing. I'm reminded of that verse in Zephaniah when... God says, I rejoice over you with singing. Why does God do that when he looks at you? It's because he knows your history, doesn't he? He knows your past. He knows what you've experienced, the tough stuff that you've had to cope with in your life, the tough stuff that might have been done to you. He knows about some of the addictions that you might have had. He knows about some of the sin we got ourselves messed up in. And yet he can see his spirit changing you, transforming you. And so now God wants to sing over you. Guys, I experienced that in a little way, looking at a four-year-old zooming around the park. I was so excited that I'd had some role to play in his life. And yes, it was tough, but it was amazing. Friends, I want to show you why that's important, not just to me, but to God. If you've got a Bible, you might want to open it up at uh, the book of Galatians. And uh, we're going to look at chapter 4. And uh, it's going to come up on the screen, but you may need a Bible to kind of follow it along. So this is Paul writing, and he's writing to a church in Asia Minor, as it was called then, modern-day Turkey. I like the word Asia Minor because I'm small and Asian, so it kind of works for me. And he's, uh, he's trying to help a church that's struggling to know what you have to do to become a Christian. Uh, because there's been this group of people coming around that says, in order to be really in God's family, you've got to obey all the Old Testament laws. Uh, including circumcision, a big, big, big battle over whether circumcision was still needed or not. And Paul's writing to a church that is made up of people that don't come from a Jewish background and people that do come from a Jewish background. And he's trying to help them tease out what is the essentials of the gospel. And some people are going, well, there's no point in being Jewish then if you actually are saved not by obeying the law of the Old Testament, but by faith. And so Paul's trying to explain it here in Galatians 4, verse 1. What I am saying is that as long as heirs are underage, they are no different from slaves, although they own the whole estate. They are subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by their fathers. Let's pause there for a minute. 
Paul's saying, look, being Jewish is amazing. You've got all these promises in the Old Testament that one day you will inherit. And um, the problem is, though, while you're still young, before you become a fully-fledged adult, um, your inheritance is not yours. It's held and locked away in a trusteeship. And so it can feel that you're being bossed around by your guardians. It can feel a little bit like slavery. What's Paul saying? He's saying, look, being Jewish is great. The Old Testament law is great. It promises you loads of things. But until you come to faith in God, it, through Jesus, you can feel like a slave, being bossed around by the Lord, being told what to do and what not to do. And then Paul expands it a little bit. He says this, verse 3. So also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. And when Paul says we, he's extending it, not just to Jewish people, but to us guys if we're Gentiles. He says all of us, whatever our ancestry, we've all been slaves. Maybe we weren't slaves to the Old Testament law, but we were slaves to addictive behaviours, sins that we couldn't get ourselves out of. We were all in slavery. And then you get a great verse. It normally comes out at Christmas, but here's a good verse. Anyway, verse 4. But when the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Paul's saying, okay, at just the right time, even though we were Jews or Gentiles, God sent Jesus into the world. He lived under the power of the law, and yet he was able to redeem us, to rescue us, to set us free from our slavery to the law or to those addictive behaviours. Now, Paul doesn't stop there. And I'm going to ask you to do something. Um, It's not embarrassing, but it does involve talking to your neighbour. I guess it's embarrassing if you've got an embarrassing neighbour, so hopefully you'll be all right with this. I want you to think, Paul's saying there's something that's being offered to you when you become a Christian that's even more important than just your freedom from slavery. And I say that carefully. I know we're in Freedom Church, and it's brilliant. I love your signs that says freedom this way. That's great as we walk in. Brilliant. Love it. Um, But Paul's saying freedom is important, but it's not the final destination. Look what he says. At just the right time, uh, when the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption. The end goal was not just that you would be set free. It would be that you would be adopted into God's family. So here's what I'm going to ask you. I'm going to tell you different ways that people understand what the good news of the gospel is, what it means to be a Christian. And I want you to think what adoption gives you in addition to what those other ways give you. And uh, you're going to try and think of three things in your, uh, in your groups, in your pairs. So, for example, some people say uh, the gospel is about being forgiven for your sins. It is about being forgiven for your sins. But adoption's even more important than being forgiven for your sins. Have a look in the passage and tell me why. Uh, well, some people say uh, the gospel is about freedom from slavery. Well, it is, says so in the passage. But actually, adoption's even more important than freedom from slavery. Well, some people say uh, the gospel is about rescue. You were in so much trouble. You, your feet were in the miry clay, but God rescued you and lift you, lifted you up. Why is adoption even more profound than being rescued? Are you with me? Have a little go. See, if you, see what you think adoption gives you in your relationship with God. Have a go. And it is going to be competitive. I'm going to set this side against this side against this side. And there may be a prize for the best answer. So hang on. Okay. All right, let's go.
You're not going to have long. So you've probably got about a minute left. See if you can think of some answers. Okay, are you ready? Is it today, Southampton versus Liverpool? Is that, is that game happening today? Yeah, I, I just happen to be a Liverpool supporter. So um, I know we've bought most of Southampton Football Club already, but I'm looking for a strong end to the season. So let's, let's, uh, let's see how we go. Okay, no, no competition there. Okay, guys, give me something. What, what does adoption give you in a relationship with God? Oh, so who said that? Inheritance. Put your hand up. That's a good answer. It's actually in the passage, isn't it? So if you're not a slave anymore, but a son, then you have an inheritance. Let's, let's linger on that one, and then I'm coming to you guys next. Okay. So look, look in, in my house, uh, when it was just my wife and I, um, pizza night was a great night. Okay. Um, because we'd buy this huge pizza, and my wife would have this tiny appetite. And so she'd have this acute angle that was her bit of the pizza, and I would get the reflex angle that was the rest of the pizza. Good times. Good times. Uh, and then we started having kids. And our oven isn't any bigger than when we were just the two of us. And so, you know, the more kids we have, the less pizza there is. So my slices of the pizza are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Now imagine, well, on a bad day, I'm resentful that there are other people to share this pizza with me. Because my inheritance, my bit is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. I, I have friends who live in South Africa. They, they are lifers. They're going to live in South Africa for the rest of their life. There is an AIDS epidemic that has ravaged South Africa. And rather than send kids into children's homes or orphanages or um, uh, children's villages, uh, my friends are part of a movement to see South African kids get adopted locally. And uh, they have uh, ancestry over here in the UK but they've included in their family kids whose parents have both died from AIDS. And they got a letter from their parents, from my mate's parents who live here in the UK. And the letter said this, we are not happy that you have adopted these African children. Uh, we have worked so hard in order to build an inheritance for you, and I want you to know that we have written your adopted kids out of our will. They are not included because they are not blood. Now imagine God had thought like that. Who is the rightful inheritor of all creation? Well, it's Jesus. It's all his, isn't it? Every knee will bow. It's all his. But Jesus loves you and I enough that he would lay down his life in order that you might have a share of his inheritance. We are co-inheritors with Christ. We have the best older brother you could ever imagine. So much better than the prodigal son. You remember the prodigal son's older brother? The prodigal son is back and the older brother is outraged because he'll have to share more of his inheritance with this new upstart son who has squandered all of his wealth. Guys, we were the prodigals, but we have the best older brother ever who says, I'm delighted to share with you my inheritance. Good answer. Okay, one, nil, nil. Is there a response? Uh, do you have a different thing that adoption gives you in your relationship? Oh, a new name. Yeah, yeah, good. Even more than that, a new status. So we once were slaves, but now we're sons and daughters. And that new status gives us a whole bunch of things. Uh, I, I, was, um, I got invited to uh, a conference in Washington, D.C. And so I used every contact I could to see if I could get a tour of the White House. Okay? 
And uh, I managed to get on a White House tour. It was late in the evening, so it was completely empty. And um, the door to the Oval Office was open. It had one of those kind of ropes across it, telling me I was not welcome. But I put my toe, I put my toe in the White House, in the Oval Office, okay? That was special. I have washed that toe since, but it was special, wasn't it? Think about it, you know, people don't get to go into the Oval Office, not without kind of presidential permission, not without the, the FBI or the CIA, uh, you know, vetting you first. Not just anybody could go in. But I remember seeing a picture of the desk in the Oval Office, and underneath the desk, there was a toy train. And around that toy train were the hands of a small boy. And you think, well, how did that small boy get in there? It's not allowed. Has he been vetted? Is he all right? Is he safe? Turns out that small boy, his name was John F. Kennedy Jr. He got to go in. He didn't need vetting. He didn't need permission because he was the son of the President of the United States. Friends, you and I, we are sons and daughters of the King of Heaven through adoption. It's not ours by right. We've been given that as a gift from our Heavenly Father. So we have access now. That's why we can call him Abba Father. That's why we can cry out to him in prayer, whatever we're going through. That is yours by adoption, not by any other means. Every time you say the Lord's Prayer, you are underlining that you are an adopted person with status with the King of Heaven. It's incredible. Okay, one, one. No pressure, guys. We've had some good answers so far. Do you have anything left? Security, that is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, good, good, good. Look, we often talk about, look, it's good to talk about freedom. I love this church. I love the name of the church. I love what you stand for. But if you think about it, freedom is not the end goal. Um, one of my favorite movies of all time is called The Shawshank Redemption. Have you seen that film? Okay, it's not one to watch with small children. The language is terrible, but it's a beautiful film. And there's a mini movie in the middle of that film. I don't know if you, you notice. It tells the story of a guy called Brooks. And Brooks basically spent most of his life in prison. And so when he finally got parole, he didn't know what to do with his freedom. He, he was free, but he had no one to connect with, no one to belong to. And so he, he's thinking about committing a crime to get back into prison. But that, he think that would be too bad. And so sadly, uh, he commits suicide because although he's free, he doesn't belong. Friends, you were not just set free. You were included. You were supposed to belong to God forever. That's beautiful, isn't it? You are supposed to belong to this group of people. They are your brothers and sisters. This is your family. Whatever you're going through, this family sticks with one another, doesn't it? This family says, we're here for you. Come rain or shine through thick or thin. And God says the same about you. You're mine and I'm never letting you go. Let me give you another last one. Has anyone here ever been rescued? Maybe by an ambulance. Anyone ever been rescued by an ambulance? Not, not an ambulance? What were you rescued? By the what? You were rescued in the Falklands. Nice. What, who were you rescued by? Another ship. Brilliant. And how did they come to get you? They came across on a boat. That's amazing. We haven't pre-prepared this. So I don't know how this story ends, okay? So... So, um, so what was the name of the guy driving the boat? Can't remember. Was, was it a life-threatening situation? W were you in trouble? So this guy on a boat saved your life. Okay. D but you can't remember his name. 
You, you in touch? You swap Christmas cards? Come around for dinner? No? Don't worry, I'm, I'm, I'm teasing you, okay? I'm not going to bring him out. Here he is. <laughs> After all these years, you're reunited. It's beautiful. Look, everywhere I go, people have the same problem. Some people have been rescued by the ambulance. Some people have been rescued by the RNLI. No one knows the name of the people that rescued them. Because you know what? Rescue does not automatically bring a relationship. Sometimes it does. I did it at Spring Harvest a few years ago. And someone said, yeah, yeah, I know the name. I was run over and then an ambulance came to get me. And uh, I know the name of the ambulance driver because here he is. I married him. <laughs> that was sweet. That's only one time in like five years. <laughs> Friends, some of us, we want the rescue from God, but we don't want God. We, we want to get out of the trouble that we're in, but we don't want the God who is the rescue. God says, I want you to be my child. I want to love you forever. I, I, this isn't just a one-time thing where I get you out of a trouble. I, I want you in my family. Do you see how beautiful adoption is? I'd love us to sing more about adoption. I'd love us to pray more about adoption. I'd like us to understand it. Because I think if we understood how and why God adopted us, we might be concerned about caring for kids that are need, in need of adoption. I'll close with this. Most people coming forward for adoption are coming because of infertility. And I think infertility is a huge challenge in our nation and often in our churches. We're not good at helping people who are feeling under so much social pressure to have kids. And because they can't, they feel second class. It's wrong. I, I bought some orange juice, a four-pack of orange juice. Do you know what they call a four-pack of orange juice? They call it a family pack. If you're struggling to conceive, that's just another dig, isn't it? Can't even buy orange juice with someone reminding me. It's tough stuff. But when you're coming forward for adoption because of infertility, you really want what you haven't been able to have, which is a baby. But most kids waiting to be adopted, they are not babies. Most kids waiting to be adopted are four, five, and six plus. And so they wait and wait because most people that want to adopt want a baby. And these four-year-olds aren't getting a looking. And the sad thing is, the longer they stay in care, the worse their outcomes tend to be. We know that, um, that there's a high percentage of people who are homeless in the UK that have aged out of foster care. We know that 50% of the male prison population are young men that have aged out of foster care and had nowhere to belong, nowhere to go. So they fall in with the wrong crowd and they end up in some dodgy stuff and they end up in prison. In some areas it's 30%, in other areas it's 70% of female sex workers are young girls that have aged out of foster care. Now, I love it that the church is getting involved in prison ministry and helping the homeless and ending sexual exploitation. That is brilliant. Because we could have helped these kids when they were three, not when they were 23. We could have maybe changed the direction of their lives by getting involved earlier rather than waiting until things have gone wrong. You see, for a lot of people, there's a list you know, I, I want a, a young child. I want no emotional baggage. I don't want no physical defects. I don't want a brother or sister. I want the child to look like me. There's all this list of stuff. And these kids aren't measuring up. And so they're being left behind. Now imagine God had thought like that about you. I only want you if you're young. I don't want any emotional baggage, no physical defects, no, no troubled family. I just want the nice ones. None of us would be here. We've all fallen short, right? God did not adopt you because he needed it. He wasn't bored or lonely. 
Do you know why God adopted you? Because you needed it. That's his grace. That's his compassion, isn't it? He saw what you were going through and he said, you need a loving father in your life that's going to stick by you, thick or thin, whatever the world chucks at you. And God says, I'm stepping up. Even if it costs the life of my son, I'm still stepping up. So friends, that's our call. We're calling the church to step up. You might not want kids. You might have had your kids. They might have left home. Could you think about being the best parents some of these children are ever going to know? You could be single. Single people can be amazing parents. I've seen it with my own eyes. So we're asking a whole group of people to think differently about how they form family. We're asking others of you to be foster aunties and uncles or adoptive aunties and uncles. It's not for you. That's great. Could you support other people that are doing it? We're asking others of you to become activists. I know some of you have got amazing jobs. You're working uh, in hospitals. You're working in schools. You're working uh, in the police force. And, and we're asking you, praise God, keep going. But could you show particular attention to the vulnerable children that you're in your contact? You can make a real difference for them. I'm going to ask the band to just come up and uh, help us. I'm going to just lead a little response uh, now. And as I say, this response does not commit you uh, to anything. Um, it doesn't say, come forward, kid arrives in your household. It doesn't work like that. But it might be this morning that you have been touched by what God says in his word. Like me, God might have woken something in you that you hadn't thought about before. You might want to get involved in some way in caring for vulnerable people. Um, particularly we're thinking today about children. And so if you think God might be saying something to you today, I'm going to... Well, let's all stand first. Nice. So if you think God might be sp have spoken to you today about something that needs to be different in your life, it could be that this morning you need to know afresh that God is your adopted dad, that he welcomes you with open arms into the family. Whatever you've done, whatever's been done to you, whatever you're experiencing right now, God says he'll welcome Come and call me Abba, Father. Come and know my unconditional love, not just my rescue, but my love. Not just freedom, but belonging. Uh, not just rescue from sin, but actually a new status as my child. Maybe you need to know that afresh this morning. Well, we invite you to come and join us at the front in a few moments, and some of the team will pray for you. It might be others of you who are thinking, you know what, I need to do something. Thousands of vulnerable kids waiting to know love in their lives I want to get involved I don't know what that looks like yet Lord but I want to say I'm here and I'm available so I invite you to come forward in a moment too for others of you it's saying actually I want God to dictate the rest of my life whether that's in my career in my home in my workplace in my retirement Lord I'm here and I'm available to you to direct my path lead me towards those that are in need if any of those areas touch you, then I invite you to come out. We'll just pray for you. That's all we're going to do. And then we'll carry on with our final song. So God's been speaking. Why don't you come? And uh, I'd love just to say a little prayer over you. Join me right here at the front. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.